Before I start my message, one thing that's been weighing on me is that so many people, including all of us, we read scripture and we do things and we go, yeah, yeah, that's wonderful and oh, yeah. But do we really grab the depth of the, ver the verse that we read? And I think that this may come out of what, you know, Terry's message was, is that, you know, and I'm, I'm going to read over the, the verse it has, but I, I hit it last week again, is the three things that we we live by. And it's the total grace of God. We live in the total grace of God. You've got, it's not just something you say. We live in the total grace of God. We live in the finished work of the cross. And we live because we have been created in the image and likeness of our Father God. And we say those things, but sometimes they just sort of slide off of us. I was sitting there thinking, gosh, I wish I had you know those yellow sticky notes and I'd write it out and stick it on everybody's head. Remember that. Remember that. Remember that. It is so important to remember that. Because we will have times when remembering that is all we can do to hang on. Yeah, we fall into these traps in this mundane living, and we do not live in a mundane relationship with our Father. So I want to, I wanna, again, I want to start off with why the, the book of Colossians was written, why Paul wrote this. And I've got it in three different versions, hoping that one of them would grip you and that you would understand. The first one is from the NIV. It's Colossians 2, 2 and 3. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Young's literal translation. That their hearts may be comforted being united in love, and to all of the riches of the full assurance of the understanding, to the full knowledge of the secret of God and Father and of Christ, in whom are all treasures of wisdom and knowledge hid. And then in the mirror, the mandate of my ministry is for everyone's heart to be awakened to their identity, intertwined in love's tapestry. This will launch you into a life of knowing the wealth of every conclusion and joint witness hidden within the mystery of God who fathered us and co-revealed us in Christ. I've never been one prayer person. I've never been one who meditates. I have a vast imagination but I find that taking these verses and just meditating on them and it just it's like opens up and, and gives me greater understanding of it 
And it's so important that you understand the reason for this book. It's not that he wants to chastise you or put you in your place or do anything like that. He wants you to understand where you are in God and where God is in you. I quoted a verse last week from Ephesians that I find myself speaking to myself quite a bit the last couple of weeks. And it's Ephesians 3.20. That's one we've heard said, you know, if, if you ever went to a Methodist church, it was always used to close the service. You know, it became rote. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, that's a sila. He's able to do measurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his powers that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I remember that being, you know, used as the closing verse. You know, it's like a benediction. First of all, he, you know, in our, in our lives, and I, I talked last week, we have, we imagine, this is what I want, Father, and this is what I'm asking for. And he says, all right, let's go here. Let's go deeper. Let's go more. I'll, I, I can give you more than you could ask or imagine. And I'm not talking about material things. I'm just... Father, I want to know more of you. I'll give you more than more of me. Father, I, I, want, I want to live a life more and more of you. No, I'll give you more. It doesn't matter what it is. The Father is, is there waiting to give you more than you can imagine and ask. And where is he? He's in the power that is at work already in you. Remember, this is where we are. You know, our spirits are with the Trinity. We are we are seated with Christ in heavenly realms. And I get frustrated because I I I say it, I hear people say it, and then when we come around and, and we live our lives, it's like it never happened. We go through the same motions. We fall for the same sins. We say the same mean thing that we did when we were 15 years old or we're 60 years old. We do it over and over again because we forget where we, where we truly belong and who lives in us. I talked about last week, so much for all my notes, I talked about last week about the flesh and the, and the, and the soul coming the flesh just follows along with the soul, your your mind, your thoughts, your, whatever your desires are, your feelings and emotions. And we put ourselves into this place out here, not totally joined yet, because that's not going to happen right yet. But we have to live this life here. But we have to remember that this is in here. We want to be there, but you got to for, you forget that this is already in here. This this is where you live. This is this is what comes out of you. The power that's already at work in you. But we're out here in this 
wasteland. And we create a, we create a life for ourselves. And we, we become legalistic. We become so legalistic. And we build these, I'll get there if, if I only do more in the church, or I only give more, or I sound more holy, maybe act a little more holy. If I get a better title before my name, if I have a bigger car, if I have a prettier wife, if I do this, if I do that, I've got to do these things to get there. No, there is here already. But we live it out here. And I, I said it's like climbing the grease pole. You never can climb the grease pole. You say, if I only get up, you know, make a little bit more money, get a bigger car, bigger house. If I only had different kids, it doesn't matter what it is. It's if onlys. Yeah, buts. So we create around us, and we create these slippery poles around us, and it becomes a prison. And we we get where oh, I can't do this, and I can't do that one, and I, I can't do these, and these here, and I am so frustrated. And you get depressed, and you feel lost, and you feel like a failure. And you go, how am I ever supposed to get out of this? Paul said, same thing. How am I ever going to get over this? Thank you for Jesus Christ. See, it's already in here. The way to get out of all this is already in here. But you don't live it. We strive to to please. We, we strive to get attaboys. Attaboys aren't bad. But if that's the only thing you want is attaboys, you're going to have a problem. You know, I just read to you Ephesians 3.20. Let me give it to you out of the mirror. We celebrate him who supercharges us powerfully from within. Our biggest request, our most amazing dreams, cannot match the extravagant proportion of his thoughts towards us. That's a seal of verse. Doesn't sure we, we're all going to have problems. It, the Bible never said you wouldn't have problems. It says you will have problems. But it also says I will never leave you or forsake you. And we get out here and we live in this cage and we go, I'm a failure. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I might as well eat worms and die. We get depressed. We. We start get introspective. We look at ourselves and all that junk that we do because we keep forgetting we're already there. We forget to live out of here. This is the whole reason that Paul wrote this message. He had a church that was planted and he wanted them to know how to live. He wanted them to know what he wanted them to do. And he wanted to encourage them. Paul's heart... Sometimes you read Paul's teaching and it smacks you right in the face. 
Sometimes we need to be smacked right in the face with a velvet glove. He loves us. You disciplined your children. Does that mean you hated them? No, it means you loved them. See, I've got a verse down here to read. 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 14. This is going to set up what I'm, I'm teaching today. And this is out of the mirror, so it'll, it'll read a little bit different unless you have your mirror Bible with you. We have discovered this treasure where it was hidden all along in these frail skin suits made of clay. That's where your treasure is. In your clay, nasty old fleshy suit. We take no credit for finding it there. It took the immense power of God and the achievement of Christ to rescue our minds from the lies it believed. We often feel completely hemmed in on every side, but our inner space remains unrestricted. When there seems to be no way out, we escape within. He's in us. At times we are persecuted to the extreme, but... We are never abandoned. We are knocked down, but not knocked out. Wherever we go, whatever we encounter in our bodies, we bear witness within us of the fact that Christ died our death in this same body we now exhibit in life. The fact we co-died in his death confirms that we now co-live in his resurrection. This body is dead. You can't affect a dead man. I've seen many movies where people stand over graves and they holler and scream at them. It doesn't bother them. It doesn't bother them. On with verse 11. Our day-to-day experience continues to exhibit that even in the face of death, our association with the death Jesus already died remains the inspiration for his life made so clearly visible within us. This is in such contrast to the circumstances that we are often faced with. Living aware of our co-crucifixion with Christ in the face of death, threatening circumstances inspires life in you. We echo the exact same spirit of faith David had when he wrote, I believe, so I speak. We too believe, and so speak. The resurrection life we enjoy in Jesus fully includes you. I wrote a message one time. I believe, therefore I speak. If you believe it in here, let it become part of your life. What would you do around people? What you, how you express yourself. And that's what I want to get into because Paul in his last, at the end of chapter 3 and, the, and chapter 4, really gives us some ideas on how to live a life that is pleasing, that is wonderful, that not only builds us up, but builds up the people around us. 
So if we if you turn to Colossians, I'm going to take on the elephant in the room very very first thing. Paul breaks it down in, in, in several things on how do you, how do you live this life? First of all, you get Paul doesn't talk. You get rid of all these grease poles. You stop trying to climb them. You stop trying to climb the corporate ladder just to climb the corporate ladder. Who cares if you have the office with the, all the windows or the corner office or the top floor? You know, I retired. I, I had one person call me, a guy I never met, said, thanks. I didn't expect anybody to call me. And it really didn't bother me that anybody called me because I knew that my job was nothing more than my job. It was my tent-making position. So we're, we're in this wasteland, and how do we affect the people around us? And first thing that we have to be aware of is our family. The elephant in the room. If you haven't guessed what the elephant in the room is, it's in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. NIV states it so wonderfully. <laughs> Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. You have heard that thrown back and forth. I ain't going to submit to that person. Who is he to think? Well, there's your self-righteousness and your... And if you sit and, and, and you ponder it, I thought, gee, the next verse is, husband loves your wives as is fitting in the Lord. Wouldn't have been something if Paul reversed those? Husbands love your wives as is fitting in your Lord, as is fitting in the Lord, and wives submit to your husbands as is. It wouldn't have smacked as much. It's also funny that uh, reading it in Young's literal translation, he goes, wives, exclamation. He's making a point. But there's one thing, and I, it's in some translations, but it's not in the NIV. Young's literal translation states, the wives. Wives out there, listen to this. Be subject to your own husband, as is fitting into the Lord. Made me start thinking about their culture. Your own husband. You submit to your own husband. You submit to your own husband as is fitting in the Lord. As is fitting in the Lord just mean, doesn't mean you grovel for him. You let him beat you. That, thing, that verse has been so messed up. Is it fitting in the Lord to have your husband beat you? No. But as soon as you say submit, the self-righteous, independent, Hairs go up on your back, and you're and you're going to fight that, and you don't understand what he's saying. Because he does said, "Husbands, love your wives, and do not be bitter with them." Your own husband. Don't go listening after somebody else's husband. There's a reason you have your own husband. There's there's a reason for marriage. Let's go back to Ephesians five real quick. He says the same thing here in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. 
See, Paul wasn't just pick, picking on one church. This is what he strongly believed. He says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, whose body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also su should submit to the, their husbands in everything that is fitting in the Lord. I added that. Husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing, with his, which is the water of the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. And after all, no one has ever hated his own body. He feeds and cares for it as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man leaves his father and a mother and be united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love your wives wife, and he who loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. See, in those contexts of those words, we, for, we forget what Paul's talking about. Marriage is a symbol of Christ and his church, Christ and his body. When the husband leaves his father and his wife leaves her, her mother, and they come together, they become one flesh. The mystery there is Jesus and his body, the church, they become one. They are, they are united. He is in here. We are right there with him. They become one. That's why he's giving this example to the church, to the family, to the community. When you see that unity, because if Jesus was here and said, Church, submit to me, and I will love you and take care of you and always be there for you. You will never need, you will never go unloved. I will give my life for you. Yeah. Well, husbands, that's what you're supposed to do. Wife, we are united together in one. I will always be there. I will never leave you. I will never stop loving you. I will take care of you my whole life. That is why it says wives submit. It's like saying church submit to me because I love you more than you understand. Men, we don't always do that. We are imperfect. But the wives are supposed to submit even to an imperfect husband. Sometimes the husband will actually learn something from his wife through her gentle patience and loving care. So when we look at the, we look at the family unit, Paul is saying, be an example of Christ in the church. That's why he's saying wives submit. Because the man is a symbol of, the, of Christ in his church and she is a symbol of the body. And they unite and they become one and he's alive in it. 
we get hung up on our own self-righteous indignation and how dare somebody tell me I have to do that. And we've all done it. But that's why he's saying that. That that is his whole reason for saying that in Colossians. Of teaching, you know, the family that wives submit. Husbands, love your wives as is fitting in the Lord. I don't know how else I can say it. It's a mystery. But he is in us and he loves us. And I am his bride. I am the woman in the ceremony. Take that one and ponder it. The next thing he really tackles, and it's real simple, both husband and wives like this one, children obey. Children obey. Fathers, don't embitter your children. We can... My kids are older now. Gosh, my daughter's almost 40. It's really funny when we all get together, we start talking about things that we remember. And the kids start talking about Patty and I. (laughs) And we sit and chuckle. Well, you remember when you... And the other kids, yeah, I remember that. You remember when mom's... And we go, what? You realize the impact that you have by every little thing you say and do in front of your children. See, I remember the impact of every little thing my parents said and did in front of me. But when it comes to my children, I'm blind. Because it's about me. I I was a good parent. I never never did anything wrong. I have been blessed with four children, and I've been blessed mightily by them and with nine grandkids. My wife and I have had the conversation when, as most women do, worry about finances and start talking about what if, what if, what if, how can we, how are we going to do this? How are we going to make it? And we've both gotten wiser as we've gotten older because we can look back and we can go, remember when, you know, we lived on that much money? Remember when this happened or that happened? We always come out through it. Thank you, Lord. So don't embitter your children because the little things you say and do smack. And like I said, I, I remember the big and little things my parents said and did or didn't do. And it affected my life greatly. Been a lot of working through things. So children obey, and fathers don't embitter your children. The next few verses talks about, starts within verse 22, slaves obey. And I've heard it. Who could believe that Bible when they believe in slavery? How dare they believe in slavery? 
Well, you've got to get it into context. First of all, Young's doesn't call them slaves, calls them servants. You read books or watch movies and you see servants are absolutely loved and some, not all were treated well, but servants were absolutely loved in families. How many little babies were wet nursed by a servant and raised by a servant? And I don't care what color, what nationality. So the word slave there has, in our, in our generations, has such a connotation that it didn't have back then. See, even when some people back then could be free, they chose to stay with their masters. They loved them. They loved the family. They were adopted into the family. They were part of the family. But it also goes on to say, servants, do what you're supposed to do for your master, not only in front of him, but when he's not looking. We've all seen it when the boss in an office, the master comes in and all the employees or what do they call them now? Not employees, they call them I can't remember the word. It's a word that bugs me. But the boss will come in the office and everybody will jump to and look busy. My personality is one of those don't move, Greg. Let them just see you the way you are. I remember one time I was at a meeting and the president of the, the bank and chairman of the board was going to come in and address all us underlings. And a very typical human resource lady, you know, the cute little blonde girl with her daytimer, who's just so cheery all the time, comes up to me and says, Greg, here, take this. It's a question you can ask him when he comes in. And I looked at her and says, I ain't doing that. I ain't doing a prefab question that he already knows the answer. That's me. Somebody else took it. Sir, let me ask you, what are the interest rates that are going to be like? Bob, I'm glad you asked that question because I got the answer written down right in front of me. He didn't say that part. Hypocrites all. But Paul says, be a good servant. Take care of things. Take care of your job and and you will be rewarded by your boss. But more important, you will be rewarded by the Lord. Because in reality, it is the Lord you serve. See, if you look at yourself being a servant of the Lord and your reward comes from Him, even if you say, I'm a slave to Jesus Christ, people bristle at that. I kind of bristle at that too because I I am the same as Jesus is right now in this world and I'm not a slave. And I am full of Him. And he works through me and wants to give me everything I have. And that's what Paul's trying to teach the the church here because 
it's amazing and and terry has done a lot of studying on church history and stuff how it, it just so quickly degenerated what the original meaning was we found that as we've studied grace i still find it hard to talk to people about grace not that i have trouble explaining it or whatever but the hard part is you might as well be talking to a wall they want no part of it no i i've got i got things i got to do did you know we we got to plan another church well the flowers at this one are dying right now why are you going out and planting more take care of the crop you have so he goes on and, and after talking about servants and stuff he gives some insight and and really what a lot of it what he's talking about from here on in is talking about other members in the body and you see what Paul is trying to do by talking about other members in the body what you should be doing the first thing he says in Colossians 4.2, and I'm going to put them in my own words. He says, devote yourself to prayer. I say, stay in communication with the Father. Stay in communication with your Father. Meditate on what he has said to you. Because problems will come and things will rise up in you and they will be hard sometimes. And they won't be fair. Things are going to happen to you that have absolutely nothing to do about you, but they affect you. You were caught in the ripples on the pond when somebody threw a rock in it. Stay in communication with the Father. Look for what he is doing. Be aware of what's going on around you. Something may have here before you and the Holy Spirit is poking you in the ribs and you're so into yourself you don't see it the Holy Spirit is saying go, go say something to them go do this, do that it may not happen every day but you have to be aware that the Holy Spirit in you is, is prodding you to display the glory of the Father in you Give thanks for all things. Sometimes that's hard. Giving thanks for all things. But if you trust the Father is, is in you, and he's going to give you more than ever you could ask or imagine, and it's out there, what you're doing here isn't the end product. What is out here is the end product. Example just hit me in the head. Take four kids, little kids, on the vacation in the car. Thank you, God, that everybody's got to pee at every different minute of the drive. Thank you, Lord, that the dog in the back just took a poo in the back of the car. See, you're on a journey. The vacation is where the Father wants you to be, if you understand what I'm saying. The journey may be a pain. But the pain doesn't compare to the joy at the end. This life may be a pain sometimes, but it doesn't compare with the joy when you are going to be totally 
renewed in the presence of the Father. You will see him with your eyes. You can meditate on that one for a long time. You will hear the angels singing. You will have revelation after revelation. You will understand understand things. And a lot of them you'll go, oh, did I used to... No wonder he kept saying that to me. You will be yourself, but you will be with him and in him. Stay in prayer with the Father. For other people, you can see in Paul's messages, he does things like he prays for the move of God in others. And remember, prayer is conversation. If you want to get down and beat your fist on the altar and ask God for something he's already given you, go ahead. You know, you can do that. He is already giving you everything you need for life and godliness. But pray for the the move of God in others, in your neighbors, in your kids, in your boss. Make the most of every opportunity. I think we've all experienced that. We've, We've shared enough, and we know each other enough, and we're small enough that we know that opportunities come. It is neat. It it is exciting. I think I shared this with you. And again, I don't share this to tell you how wonderful I am because I'm only wonderful because God's wonderful in me. But I I was at Walmart one day and, you know, paying checkout. And here's here's a lady behind me and she was looking through her money and what she had there and, and whatever. And I usually don't carry any cash on me. I'm a cashless society. And the lady says, well, is this, this, this what you want? She goes, no, I don't know if I can afford this. I ain't kidding. The Holy Spirit said, boom. Looked at my wallet, pulled out 20 bucks. I said, you can afford it now. There you go. And walked away. An opportunity. It didn't bother me to give away 20 bucks. I could have used the 20 bucks. I have needs. But the Father needed me to do that. Don't know whatever happened to that person. Because she was just stunned. And I just walked away. I, You know, it wasn't, here brother, I'm, I'm a saint in God. Let me, let me give you $20. And, you know, there you go. And You can say more to me about that. You, come on. Tell me how, how wonderful I am. Oh, you're a nice guy. Yeah, see? Yeah, see? Sometimes that's why people give. They get excitement out of being praised. It wasn't me. It wasn't my idea. It was God's idea to give that person the 20 bucks. Never. It was the easiest thing I probably did that day. And we've all had those experiences. It doesn't have to be money. It could be a kind word. It can be a thank you. Let your words be filled with grace. When you talk to people, don't sit there and talk to them. Do you remember the the Finger of God movies? I think most of us saw those where the the guy was, they were at the, uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah. And this guy was, you're going to hell! You're going to hell! 
And the guy went up and says, well, how many people, how long have you been doing this? He says, you know, I think 13 or 15 years. Well, how many people have you led to God? None. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. Repent. Repent. This guy went up to a group of people and started talking about the grace and love of God. Led them to the Lord. Let your words be filled with grace. First of all, if you tell somebody they're going to hell, I'm glad you're not the one that makes that decision. Hate to hear somebody say that now. But let your words be filled with grace and your words seasoned with salt. He doesn't mean to put salt on your tongue. But salt back then was valuable. It was a commodity. It was used to preserve and to give flavor to things. When you talk, preserve the message of Christ. Let your words should add value to the conversation. Your words should be uplifting. You know the old saying, if you don't have something good to say, don't say it wisdom sometimes when uh, my wife and I get in a discussion I have learned after coming up on 45 years of marriage sometimes it's best to hold thy tongue Selah. love your wife as Christ loves the church because I'm sure we've all talked to God in a way we should not have talked to God we make demands on him. Our prayers aren't prayers of conversation and love. They're prayers of demand. Heal me now, God. Didn't you make that promise? If I would come up and one of my kids would say, Didn't you promise me, Dad? Why don't you do it? Oh, okay. May not be godly wisdom, but they'd never see it. Let your words be uplifting. My gosh, somebody who's been beaten down and trodden. Amazing what you've done a wonderful job today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Maybe the only kind thing they hear all day. But you know, something like that can change somebody's whole day. A sweet word can wipe out a multitude of harsh, nasty words. A pat on the back. A smile. Some gentleness. Some salt. Talk about grace. Let grace be in your words. The reflection of your changed life should be in your words. Has your life changed? That should be reflected in your words. I still have, that's not the best word for it, I still have salty talk. My wife loves to correct my salty talk. Especially when I'm doing plumbing or electrical work. Oh, oh, well, hmm, I get from her. Something goes wrong with her. Oh, sugar! I said, honey, it's not the word. It's the attentant in your heart. Dead ends that conversation real quick. <laughs> but it is. It's the intent in your heart. I'm not perfect. 
I'm just loved. Mm -hmm. I'm filled with him. And he's not going to go, Craig, I told you never to say that again. There was... There were some words in, I think, the second song that bothered me. And I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it says, He will take me back again. He never let you go. Your perception may be that He never let you go. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. How can you take me back again if you never let me go? Be filled with grace. Let your life and the words you use show grace. You all have the ability to answer questions with grace. I remember once when I first was in the charismatic circles. And there was a lady who came in. And she had, I can't even remember what her question was. It was a very basic question. And she just asked the group of, you know, well, what does this mean? And this lady goes, well, silly, don't you understand? And the lady was so offended. She goes, I'm new at this. Give me a break. Like grace, when you answer questions. Your children will always come to you when a little kid. Mommy, why can't I put my hand in the fire? Honey, you can't do it because you'll burn and you'll hurt yourself. You don't go, stupid question. Here, do it. I'll show you why. You know? Too bad there are people like that. Let your answers on grace be filled with grace. Remember that you are joined in death with Christ. When he died, you died. When he was resurrected, you were resurrected. When he went to sit with the Father, you went to sit with the Father. That is your position. Never forget that. I don't care what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter what you face in this life. We are an older crowd here today. We have found out, a lot of us, I hope we all start realizing, this life is short. And the problems that we worry about now in six weeks probably won't be a problem we worry about. Sometimes things hang on and nag a long time. But in the big scope of everything of Christ living with me, in me with all the power I need and who give me everything or more than I can ever think or imagine, that's a little thing. I may not like it. I don't like the mosquito buzzing in my ear. I like trout fishing. At times there are black flies and mosquitoes and they get up in your eye, you know, and you're trying not to move because you see, you see that fish out there and if you move, you're going to scare the fish and this thing goes... <laughs> That's what sometimes life is like. You got a mosquito or a black fly trying to bite you or, you know... Suck your blood, or, and it's, it's annoying. But in the big scope of everything, I want that big brook trout. It makes it all worthwhile. My son and I would go fishing, and we'd have bites on our neck and our ears, and, you know, 
We'd be wet and muddy and cold. But we'd open the creel and there'd be a dozen brook trout. All that other stuff didn't matter. See, all that stuff that you're going through now isn't going to matter because you're going to open up one day a door and you're going to sit in the presence and reality with the Father and you're going, to, you're going to be filled with Him and you're going to know Him and He will talk to you all by yourself. You won't have to wait in the line like the DMV. You won't have to make an appointment with Social Security that says, yeah, we can talk to you in a month and a half. He says, what do you want? What do you want, Norm? I'm here for you. I'm always here for you. You've always been in my mind. I, I knew you alone. I don't remember any. You know, you were a perfect person. You never did anything wrong. And your mind goes, is he really that? No, I take it. I take it. Take it. Take what he has for you. You are perfect in his sight. You are filled with his presence and with his son. Remember, you are joined in death with and in Christ. And I'll end with this. The journey is not about you alone and the great greased pole cage. It's not just you. You are not the center of the universe in this grease pole cage you've built for yourself. You are in him. If you want to live in the cage, go ahead. He doesn't force you. He didn't put you there. He will, through his Holy Spirit, he will always be talking you out of it. We've got dogs. Sometimes they're in the, in the cage and you open the door and you go, come on out, come on out. And the dogs just stand there and look. Most of the time they come running out because they're glad to see you. You're not meant to live here. You're supposed to come running out and be glad to see the Father. That's who you live by. That's who's important to you. That is the love of your life. Remember, he lives in you and wants to give you more. His power is in you, and he wants to give you more than you can imagine or ever think about. You are his joy. It's already done. Think of those things, and then you'll be able to say, Yea, God, in all circumstances. Amen.